Blog Talk Radio. March 7th, 2018 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. And here we discuss news, politics, and culture from an individualist perspective. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff. Very excited to finally be streaming live to YouTube for my first time. So uh, this is exciting. Problem for me is this is the type of day that I haven't really wanted to have in terms of time spent on things because I've told you guys in the past, you know, I, I avoided for a long time getting on video. And the reason that I avoided for a long time getting on video was I didn't want to worry so much about how I looked. That was the way I was thinking about it at the time. I didn't want to worry so much about how I looked. I wanted to worry about the content of a show, delivering you guys good content. And I would just run around making these program notes and throwing them up on my blog at don'tletitgo.com till the last minute. And then you know I'd be doing this show, no makeup and just like grungiest clothes and everything else. And the other thing I didn't think about, though, at the time, I was worried, oh, it's like, oh, I have to put makeup on or something, okay. But the thing I didn't worry about and think about was the technology. So this morning, I spent so much time just trying to figure out the logistics of how to get live here streaming for you guys on YouTube. Um, you, got, you guys are sweet saying that I look nice and everything. I think the... The daylight is forgiving. Of course, I worry. It's like my skin breaks out before I go online. It's, you know, it's just stupid stuff. But um, the, the piece that, like I said, I didn't think about was the tech. And I still have a tech issue to work out, which is that you guys are not going to be able to hear any callers from Blog Talk. Not any callers from Blog Talk because the sound is not coming in from Blog Talk. You guys didn't hear my intro music, for example. So that is something else to be worked out. What it might end up being is that I'll end up taking audio input through the Zoom meeting, and then I'll give Zoom meeting invites to patrons. Uh, We can do something like that. So we'll figure something out so I can get the audio into it. I'm going to circle back to Yaron Brook, who's my co-host one day a week and, and see what he does with it. Anyway, enough of this, enough of the logistics. Like I said, this is the stuff that I didn't want to worry about. I always wanted to worry about the content. And today I'm hoping that my little brainstorming that I did this morning in terms of content is going to save me. Uh, this morning I go over to Twitter and I find that Trump is tweeting again. So let me go ahead and pull up what he was tweeting. He's tweeting about trade. He's still tweeting about trade. And apparently someone has left his administration over the trade 
issue. So I could go over and I could find that headline at the New York Times in a minute. And it turns out that this guy who left, he's the main free trade person in the administration, and he happens to be a Democrat. So imagine how hurting your administration is when the only free trade guy there is a Democrat or the main free trade guy is a Democrat. So what is real Donald Trump as he goes by on Twitter? What is he tweeting? Let's see if I can type his handle in without a typo and we'll get over there. So this morning he's got this tweet and he says from Bush one to present, our country has lost more than 55,000 factories, 6 million manufacturing jobs and accumulated trade deficits of more than 12 trillion dollars. Last year we had a trade deficit of almost $800 billion. Bad policies and leadership must win again. MAGA, make America great again, right? That's what he thinks he's going to do. Then he had this other tweet that I saw, and I think the other one is what I saw first, this China one. China has been asked to develop a plan for the year of a $1 billion reduction in their massive trade deficit with the United States. You know, he's basically putting pressure on them because of this trade deficit. And then he has a third tweet. The U.S. is acting swiftly on intellectual property theft. We cannot allow this to happen as it has for many years, exclamation point. Now, that's the first one that I responded to. And I saw it, of course, in the context of this tweet to China about the trade deficit. So the idea is, well, China, if you don't give us what we want in trade, fair trade, as he calls it, right, if you don't give us what we want, then we're going to enforce all the intellectual property violations against you. We're not going to allow, say, goods to be traded that are based on intellectual property violations. So what's the response to that? Of course, I mean, it is valid to keep goods out for intellectual property reasons. And I've talked about this on my show before. Um, so, God, it's so funny. My, my stream is going everywhere, and I can see myself everywhere and get distracted about it. Okay, um, so what is the answer to this? The answer to this is, yeah, it's good that he's actually talking about protecting the property rights of Americans, right? This is something that our government should do. But that is an entirely different issue, and I talked about this on the show when I had the caller. I believe his name was Brian during the last show. At one point, he tried to switch to the topic of intellectual property. It is a change of topic entirely. The way you deal with intellectual property theft is a separate issue. You don't use it as some sort of bargaining chip. So what did I write? I said, protecting the property rights of Americans is something our government should do, but it's a different issue, and it cannot be properly addressed by slapping a tariff on steel or aluminum or other goods nor should it be, quote, negotiated as part of a trade deal, you know? Um, if there's intellectual property theft going on, you ban the goods. You don't allow them and then tax them. Now, if the idea is, well, you're going to let them in and you're going to impose a fee that would be the intellectual property rights fee that would be due to the property owner and you channel the money to the property owner. Okay, maybe you'd say there's a connection between the two. But if it's just a tariff that Trump is using, has he talked about, by the way, has he talked about where the dollars for the tariff are going to go? As far as I know, he hasn't, right? We don't know where the money's going to go. It's just another tax on the American people. He's all connected to the issue of intellectual property theft. 
So um, someone saying throw a fist. My my hand gesture, they bother you. You're going to have to start telling me because, again, being on video is is entirely new to me. And I do. I, I gesture a lot with my hands. So, yeah, calm down here. Um, yeah, so he, he can't say that, well, we're going to use protecting the property rights of Americans as a negotiating ship. He should be protecting the property rights of Americans, period, full stop, that's done. And this idea that it's part of a negotiation for a so-called fair trade deal is garbage. So that was the first thing I was able to think about is that, yes, he's changing the topic just as have other people that I've discussed this with, like Brian, the caller from last week at my show, he switched to intellectual property and immediately I said, look, that is a different topic. National security is also a different topic. If you say that you want to keep goods out of, you know, out of the United States from China, you don't want to allow goods in from China for security reasons, then you're talking about the fact that they are becoming a military threat that because of them being a military threat, you should cut off trade altogether. You don't say, oh, they're a military threat. Let's go ahead and allow trade and keep subsidizing our military, you know, the people who are threatening us militarily, but let's just put a tax on it and who knows where the tax dollars are going to go. Let's just ramp up for a war. I don't think that that's the the proper way to go. It's It's a separate issue. So there's a separate issue. And so then as the morning went on and I woke up a little bit more, I decided I'd look at his other tweets on trade. And I looked at that first one where he's talking about, you know, Bush won to the present and the country losing more than 55,000 factories and 6 million manufacturing jobs and trade deficits of more than $12 trillion. And I started to think, okay, so, you know, we had the trade deficit and now we're going to win. What does winning mean to him? Winning must mean that he wants not a trade deficit because we're losing with a trade deficit, of course, even though all the economists have said forever that trade deficits are meaningless. Okay, most rational economists have said it's meaningless. You know, trade deficit, Donald Trump thinks we're losing if we have a trade deficit. So what does winning mean? Winning must mean, mean a trade surplus. That must be what winning means, a trade surplus. Is that right? If so, then when I think about the fact that this whole number, whether we have a trade deficit or a trade surplus, is meaningless, then you start to think, well, what's the purpose of him building up a trade surplus? And the only thing I can think of is it's this phony posturing thing so he can feel good about himself. you know. And, and here he is, he's talking about, you know, he likes to, to brag that he's so much better than all the other presidents. And so, you know, Bush won to the president and we lost the 55,000 factories and all this. And, you know, he's going to be the one to save us and to deliver us into awesomeness. And, and it's all for his ego. And for some reason, you know, I've got this brain that works this way in analogies. And I think uh, Jordan Peterson would say people who are more open in temperament or something that our minds work laterally. And we think of analogies. I, I was watching his um, Jordan Peterson's podcast with um, Russell Brand, and, and he was talking about this and he was analyzing Brand as Brand was speaking of Brand's thinking of these analogies. So, yeah, so I'm always thinking of analogies. And, you know, last week I had the analogy between the protectionist trade policy and affirmative action. And when I saw this tweet this morning, I was thinking about, you know, Trump, he's 
basically trying to glorify himself, I thought of this analogy to the Egyptian pyramids, right? And as far as I know, the pyramids, the only purpose for the Egyptian pyramids were as a tomb, not that, you know, this is going to be a tomb, but it's going to be some sort of testament to Trump. You know, Trump is going to say that this is his legacy, among other things. He thinks he's going to solve the so-called Middle East crisis between the, and I'll say so-called again, so-called Palestinians and, and the Israelis. Uh, but what does he want to do? He wants to have a whole bunch of different notches on his belt, you know, to, to brag about. And this one, this one in particular, the issue of trade deficit versus trade surplus is completely meaningless. So that the only reason that you'd want to do this is some sort of self-glorification, some glorification of, of the leader. And so then the analogy, I've got the tweet out there on my account on Twitter. Follow me if you guys don't. The Egyptian pharaohs built pyramids. Trump wants to build a trade surplus. And then I think the thing that's kind of fun to just explore is how well does this analogy work, this analogy between the pyramids and the trade surplus. Over in the chat at YouTube, which I'm happy to see is actually moving pretty well, uh, Unshelled Coast says, Jerome says that Trump is selfless in this case in the sense that it's all about win-lose with Trump, trying to get the most while trying to screw over the other guy in every way, very Nietzschean. You know, this idea that we're winning only if we have a trade surplus is crazy. And I've got basically some other things that I had prepared for today before I thought of this analogy between the, um, you know, between the uh, pyramids and Trump's trade policy. You know, he wants to build a surplus in the same way that the Egyptians built a pyramid. So then the question is, you know, who's building it, right? Who's going to build this pyramid for Trump, in effect? Who's going to build this trade surplus for Trump? The old lore that I remember hearing when I was growing up is that the pyramids were built on slave labor. And if you do a quick Google search, I ended up finding something from Harvard. And let me see if I can find it again. I'm sorry, you guys, but I spent all morning on this tech trying to make sure that I was live streaming on YouTube. And I didn't put together all the program notes in the way that I could. So let's see. Let's go to Harvard and Egyptian pyramids. And maybe I can also put slave labor in there just to make sure that I get to the right place because there's this article that I found. Yeah. Who built the pyramids from Harvard magazine and it's highlighted. So I know this is what I was looking at a little bit before, not slaves. Apparently they had a city of privileged workers who worked on these pyramids. So, you know, of course my first pass through this analogy, I was thinking, well, who's building it and what Trump is asking in terms of building this trade surplus is that you and I help build the trade surplus. And it's not like we're going to be asked to help voluntarily. What we're asking to do, uh, we're not being asked at all, is we're going to be conscripted. We are going to be forced to pay tariffs, an extra 25% on steel, 10% on aluminum is what I saw floated. We're going to be asked to do this 
in order to build this trade surplus. We're going to get this trade surplus. Why? Because Trump is going to protect certain industries that are somehow going to thrive and help build this trade surplus. So um, in any event, sorry, I just I just had a memory in my mind, which is that I didn't record this on Zoom. So I'm glad this is streaming through YouTube and it's going to be left up there because I did not record it on Zoom. So sad. I've, I'm going to get all these glitches out. Okay, so let me go back and get my train of thought again. You guys, I didn't want to worry about tech. I wanted to worry about content. Um, okay, so... So yeah, so we're being conscripted. We are all going to pay extra taxes in order to build this trade surplus. This trade surplus is not benefiting Americans as a whole. If you want to hear the best person analyzing how the trade deficit versus trade surplus doesn't mean anything at all in terms of how the American economy is doing, listen to your own. Your own, from an economic perspective, has done such a great job analyzing this. One of his shows even when he was talking about um, why Nixon basically closed the gold window, why he ended up having to close the gold window, and was it because of trade deficits? He says no. And in that show, Yaron talks about what would happen with trade deficits on a gold standard. Even on a gold standard, the trade deficit is not something that harms you. You know, It doesn't harm our country economically. So it's, it's just bogus, this whole idea of trade deficit versus trade surplus. So if, if Trump is going to build a surplus and he's going to say that somehow having a trade surplus is part of what it means to make America great again, he is just doing this to serve his own ego as far as I'm concerned. So um, it, it's just garbage, right? And, and he's going to have us all pay higher taxes on certain goods in order to do that. But then you go over to this Harvard article and you say, okay, well, they're saying it's not slaves who built it. It's instead a city of privileged workers. But who's paying these privileged workers? Who's paying the city of privileged workers? I submit that probably because the only purpose that these huge structures, these big pyramids, the only purpose that they served is to glorify the pharaohs and serve as the tomb for the pharaohs. I mean, the, you know, the tomb has a purpose, right? And yeah, it, it's good to go ahead and spend some money and build a tomb or, you know, some sort of a grave site so that loved ones can go and pay their respects or have some place to imagine having a conversation with you or whatever. So there's a purpose for a tomb, but nobody needs these huge structures glorifying, right? So who's paying for this? Even if it's not built by slave labor, I submit that it's taxation of the general public that pays this set of privileged workers that builds this tomb to the glory of the Pharaoh. So let's go back to the analogy. The analogy here is that if, Trump imposes tariffs on goods in order to suppose, you know, supposedly get fairer trade or to engage in a trade war. What he is doing is he's going to have a trade surplus built by a group of privileged workers. And who are the privileged workers going to be? The privileged workers are going to be whoever is exporting either the favored goods or, you know, he's also talked about doing tariffs across the board. So, Anybody who's in an export industry is going to be the set of privileged workers who is hired to help build this trade surplus to the glory of Trump 
But nonetheless, it is built on the backs of slave labor, even if the actual building itself, the working itself, is not done by slaves. Why? Because all of us are being taxed for it. So in the case of the Egyptians, the Egyptian people were taxed in order to pay the privileged workers to build the the pyramids. And in our case, we're technically all going to be taxed in order to build this. Jason over YouTube says, my house is a pyramid. It's terrible in the summer. Now, the pyramids, what, they're built out of clay or some stone or something. That should actually be kind of cool and nice in the summer. John over at YouTube says, I am arguing for the self-sacrifice of America to China. No, actually, Donald Trump is arguing for the sacrifice of Americans to his ego. That's really what's happening here because we are not sacrificing to China if we have a trade deficit with China. How are we? Tell me how we are. Go ahead and type in the in the chat here, John, over at YouTube, and tell me how we are. Earlier he says, Trump is trying to alter their calculus to take off their tariffs. Trump is not trying to build pyramids. Well, the pyramid that he's trying to build is a trade surplus. And he believes if they take off their tariffs that somehow we're going to get a trade surplus and the trade surplus is all important. The trade surplus is not important at all. And you know what? I'm going to give you a different angle on that issue because this is one of the things that I had prepared um, before I, again, thought of this analogy earlier today. And as I said, if you want to hear the basic economics behind this issue, you know, the issue that you do not care whether or not somebody else is selling you cheap goods. Suppose they're selling you goods at lower than cost because the, you know, China is taxing its people in order to subsidize certain industries to give us goods at below cost. Uh, maybe they're also charging tariffs to their poor people. Their people can't buy our goods except for at a higher price, right? Um, suppose that's the case. We get cheaper stuff. So what's our answer to that? Our proper answer to that is to reduce our trade deficit, excuse me, our tariffs, you know, reduce our tariffs to zero and then go ahead and accept the cheaper goods. And then what do we have? We've got more resources that we can spend on other things. We can invest in making our industries more efficient. We can have robots do more of the work as opposed to minimum wage workers that get more and more expensive. Yeah, there's a couple different uh, Johns here. So there's John Woods who's talking about the um, the trade deficit. Now, why should they be allowed to put tariffs on our goods but not the other way around? We are not in the business of telling them what tariffs to put on. What we can do is we could reduce all of our tariffs to zero. And we can allow our people to buy cheap goods and, you know, inputs, the resources that they need, the raw materials that they need. We allow them to buy them as cheaply as possible by reducing our tariffs to zero and watch our economy take off and boom and serve as an example for everybody else. And then let the Chinese get fed up. Let them have a revolution. Let the Chinese government collapse under its own weight because they are taxing and starving their own people. Now, if you get to the point, I mean, first of all, there's a couple things to think about, right? If your concern is 
there's either slave labor or China is unfairly taxing its own people, if there's a moral issue of some kind, and you're an individual business owner who has a decision to make about whether to import from China, you can decide not to do it, right? If you think, well, it's such a moral issue that I'm just going to go ahead and boycott personally these goods. I'm not going to buy them. Okay, fine. Do that. Um, On a national level, we should be keeping out the Chinese goods only if there's some sort of property theft, particularly intellectual property theft at stake, or if China is a security risk. If we've decided they're an enemy, we're going to go to war with China, China, you know, war with China's imminent. Okay, fine, do that, cut it off. Um, but don't have this, you know, thing, okay, well, we're going to trade, but we're going to go ahead and tax the American people for daring to purchase cheap goods from overseas. That tax money is going who knows where. Where's the tax money going? How is this helping the American people, if you add this on, all this is going to do, as I said, you know, what Trump considers winning in trade, winning in trade for Trump is obviously not a trade deficit. What's the opposite of a deficit? It's a surplus. He is asking the American people. He's not asking. He's proposing to tell the American people that they're going to be paying a set of privileged workers to build a trade surplus to the glory of him, just like the Egyptians were taxed to pay a set of privileged workers in order to build these pyramids for the glory of the Pharaoh. Um, Otherwise, where is this money coming from? You know, there's not any extra productivity, for instance, in ancient Egypt. You know, they weren't so efficient at production that they could afford to build these huge monuments in addition to keeping everybody alive at any decent standard of living. And then my question for you is, how much do you as an American think that you can afford to make America great using a trade surplus, which doesn't have any economic relevance at all in terms of how well our economy is doing? Um, are our people being put out of work based on false economics? That's a comment that John Woods is making over here on YouTube. I would say no. Um, maybe put out of work temporarily. So suppose you are working in an industry that is either selling goods to the United States, maybe exporting different places, and China decides, you know, the government of China decides to use tax revenues to subsidize an industry there that competes directly with your company. And suppose you're out of work because of that. What do you do? You're displaced, but you have to retool and you have to go do something else. It's not that we're put out of work. Now we're going to get cheaper things, right? The only reason that people are going to buy the stuff from China is because it's cheaper to purchase. And if it's significantly cheaper to purchase, that means that they're going to have resources to free up Maybe they're going to be able to go into new industries or build a new factory or something else with the extra money. So there is displacement, certainly, but we can't be put permanently out of work because we are being sold cheap goods. That's what basic economics will tell you. Uh, Let me offer one additional thought on just the economics of, of the trade issue. If you think on an individual level, and this is maybe where some people are getting caught up with this, on an individual level, an overall trade deficit is a bad thing, right? 
you would like to be offering a whole bunch of value and then trading for goods and services that represent sort of less monetary value than that. So in monetary terms, you would like to be doing a whole bunch of work that provides a value that corresponds to an amount of money that's bigger than the amount of money you're spending, right? You would like a trade surplus individually. You would like that. And then what do you do with the extra money with your trade surplus? You save it for retirement or you can give it to your favorite charity. You can become a patron of mine over at Patreon, right? So if you have a trade surplus, then you're doing well personally. But then the question is, does that mean that as a country, we need to have a trade surplus, otherwise we're doing badly? No. And this is an example of what we would call in my introductory logic class that I used to teach years ago. I taught introductory logic at Mount St. Mary's in Los Angeles. I think I also taught it at, I know I taught at the Air Force Academy. I'm wondering if I taught it at other universities where I taught, but I know I taught at least at Mount St. Mary's in the Air Force Academy at just an introductory logic class, and we covered the basic fallacies. And one of them is called the fallacy of composition. And that fallacy is committed if you attribute to an entire whole, a group, something that applies to an individual within the group or some part of the group. And I think that that's what Trump is doing here. He's counting on you knowing for yourself that it would be bad to have a trade deficit, right, where you are not trading out goods and services that have a monetary value that is more than what you're spending than what you're consuming. And he's attributing that to the entire group, the whole United States, the whole country. And that's just not true because there is a whole lot of production of wealth and value that we're doing here in the United States. And we're just trading with each other. None of that is represented in that number of whether we're running as a whole or with any individual country a trade deficit or a trade surplus, that number is just completely meaningless. And as I said, Jerome on his show had an excellent presentation about how even if we were on a gold standard and you talked about, you know, gold flowing out of the country, it would come back in on a proper free economy. So um, that's, you know, another thing to think about is this fallacy of composition the, the mere fact that on an individual level, a trade deficit would be bad does not mean that as a country, a trade deficit is bad. Uh, the thing that is bad is a thing that I tweeted to Trump about the other day, and I'm not going to give you so much dead air and try to bring that tweet up again. Actually, the one place that I can get, one place that I put my tweets, and they're accessible pretty quickly, is over on my Instagram account. Yeah, I'm on Instagram too. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is the max. Of course, I'm over here on YouTube where you're seeing me stream live too. But that's the max of my social media expertise. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll get this interesting series. Well, I think it's interesting. A series that I've started. I, I own an entire hashtag on Instagram, and it's called Tweet to Our Dear Leader. And I tweet to Donald Trump. And some people will say, oh, well, why, you know, why talk about Donald Trump and why? Donald Trump does have in him a real authoritarian streak. He does, you know. And one thing that you do 
when somebody is a bit overbearing. If you're an American and you have a leader who is exhibiting overbearing authority, like Obama did as well, and I used to criticize him, you don't just sit back and take it. You don't shut up and, and you know say nothing when you disagree with a guy. You practice what Ayn Rand called defiance. And, I mean, it's not a new term or anything, but there's a tweet, a quotation of hers that I have in mind in particular, and she says, defiance, not obedience, is the American's response to overbearing authority. So whenever there's something, some policy that Trump is putting out there on his tweets and I disagree with it and I have something to say about it, then I'll go ahead and, and say something. And that is this series tweet to our dear leader. The other day he tweeted about our trade deficits. We have large trade deficits with Mexico and Canada, blah, blah. So, you know, this was several days in a row of tweets about trade deficits. And I said to him, if only you were as passionate about the deficits that actually hurt Americans. And here's the deficit government budget deficits and the massive debt we're accumulating as a result. So as a country, there is one deficit that we really need to be worrying about, and that is the massive budgetary deficit, government budget deficits. I was tweeting about this the other day, and as I said, I started getting some responses. And it's interesting because one of the responses, what the, you know, the guy on Twitter, he assumed that because I was tweeting a criticism of Trump that I must be a lefty, as, as he called it. And he went on and on saying, well, you know, it's really convenient that you start talking about this now when Barack Obama increased the debt by such and such. And I know all this. And I used to criticize Barack Obama about this. And my point is, let's be consistent. Let's hold the feet of Trump and the Republicans to the fire as well about the debt and the deficit. This is the deficit that we should be worried about. We should be worried about the spending deficit, the government spending deficit more than anything. Now, you could say we should be more, you know, worried about more than a government spending deficit. You should be worried about the level of government spending as such, right? Um, that that's really the, the big issue. But it, you know, really, let's go ahead and talk about the spending deficit, at least, if you're going to talk about deficits. We could talk about the overall level of spending and how that corresponds to government doing things that it shouldn't do in another show. We're taking on quite a bit here. Okay, so as I said, follow me on Instagram if you want to see tweet to our dear leader. Am I off tweets for today? I might be off tweets for today. Um, now let me get over caught up on the chat at YouTube. John, John Kenny is joining me over here at YouTube. Hi, John. He says, there's the seen and the unseen in economics. This morning, U.S. Steel announced 700 new jobs. Trump will trumpet this. Not seen are the many layoffs coming. Yeah, so what this is saying is that people who are going to work for U.S. Steel or have been working for U.S. Steel are going to be the privileged workers who are helping to build the trade surplus that's going to be built to the glory of Trump. And again, there is no purpose for an international trade surplus. The, the mere number, right? You need to know where it comes from. 
the, the mere fact that you have an, interna- an international trade surplus alone is meaningless. Again, you know, I, I, my mind thinks in analogies, and there's a, a, an example that I used on a show a few times ago that, that came to mind, and, and it, it's this. If I tell you I did something illegal today, unfortunately today, the mere fact that I tell you that I did something illegal is not going to necessarily, I assume, result in you evaluating me morally in some bad light, right? Um, You're going to want to know. So what was it that you did? So if I was driving on the freeway and it was two miles over the speed limit, big deal, right? I broke a law, but and it's illegal, but it's it's not anything more. And, and in fact, I've talked about this before. If you're not speeding on the freeway at certain times, when everybody else around you is going 10 miles per hour over the speed limit, and you're deciding you're going to stick below the speed limit, that could be unsafe, and that would actually be immoral. So legality doesn't necessarily correspond to morality or justice. And similarly, you could say this trade surplus, it, it would be just a number. If, if he builds it up, you want to know how is it built. And if it's built because Americans are being conscripted into a trade war, and really that's what we're doing. I did, you know, I did actually tweet out about this. I thought I was done with my tweets, but I had one more tweet that occurred to me. I said, what, you know, what real Donald Trump, that's his handle on Twitter, what real Donald Trump is trying to do is conscript all of us into a trade war in the service of whom? His favorite cronies, and pressure groups, and I say no thanks, and I'm calling it again pharaoh trade, not free trade, but pharaoh trade. That's the title, as I said, of, of today's show, and it's because this trade policy of his is going to favor certain privileged workers and crony groups at the expense of all of us who are going to be taxed in order you know, for him to have something else to brag about, something else in his legacy. And the question is, is it really going to happen? I know a lot of Republicans aren't very happy about it. Of course, I'm sure that if you read the New York Times, the amount of potential mutiny from the Republicans is exaggerated because the New York Times is going to exaggerate everything. Uh, Trump, here's a headline. I'm over at the New York Times now, and as I said, I'm sorry, I don't have a formal set of program notes, so I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I'm over. And I was going to come over here and grab the article at the New York Times that talked about the member of the Trump administration who left. He actually departed over trade issues, a Democrat, right? We've got a free trade Democrat who's the one who leaves on principle from the, the trade administration. When the, when the Democrats are acting in a principled fashion, I, I guess that's always true, though, right? As like, you know, the Democrats are the ones acting in a principled way. The Republicans will act in a principled way when there's a Democrat in office. But when they're in office, they turn into the worst, most disgusting pragmatists. Um, Anyway, headline, New York Times, Trump set to formally sign tariff plan on Thursday. Expected to sign off at noon. Advisors emphasized that the timing could change. The stiff tariffs on steel and aluminum imports would not go into effect for two weeks, giving countries or companies a chance to submit input and try to sway the administration's plan. So talk about, you know, think about this executive order, right? The way that Barack Obama used 
executive order power, misused it, and you know there were liberal scholars at the time. Um, I'm trying to think of the one who was there. There was a very outspoken law professor, a liberal law professor, who was criticizing Trump's use of the executive power when he was in office, and it was, it was wonderful. So is this what is Trump doing this? He must be doing this by executive power because there's been no vote about this. The swiftness with which the administration plans to formally announce the tariffs comes on the heel of Gary D. Cohn's announcement on Tuesday that he's going to resign as Mr. Trump's top economic advisor. Mr. Cohn had been among the most ardent free trade supporters in the White House and argued that tariffs will start a global trade war that will hurt the United States economy. The prospect of approaching tariffs has tipped off furious lobbying, and they're all trying to... um, Way Trump with offers of friendship and threats of retaliation. None of this is productive, right? What would be the most productive thing? Again, lower all of our tariffs unilaterally to zero. Don't favor any particular industry. And again, suppose Trump said, we're just going to have a tariff across the board. I'm not going to do, you know, he's doing steel and aluminum. So he is actually favoring two particular industries. He is instituting affirmative action in trade to benefit steel and aluminum at the expense of everybody else, right? That's what he's doing. But suppose he was just doing it for trade generally. Anybody who was importing anything was going to have to pay some certain percentage. That would still that would still be privileging certain Americans at the expense of other Americans. And that's what he's doing. That's exactly what he's doing. This is Total typical pragmatism. He is being met with a set of demands from his pressure groups. And I've talked about pragmatism before. If you dig deep into pragmatism, if you dig into James, James, William James, who started the whole, you know, pragmatist trend. If you read him and he's when he's discussing what is the standard of the good, what is the good for pragmatism? The good for pragmatism is to satisfy demand, and that's what Trump is doing. He's being met with a set of demands, pressure groups, and he's deciding which demands he's going to satisfy and which not. A a true pragmatist, one who is really trying to be the best pragmatist possible, if that's, you know, you can even use the word best or good with pragmatism. I think pragmatism is evil myself. We should be acting on principle. Uh, but, you know, the best pragmatist, according to James, is the one who satisfies as many demands as possible at the same time. So if you could say, well, Trump has some sort of a coherent argument that serving the interest of the steel and the aluminum industry is going to serve the interests of America as a whole, then Maybe okay, he's satisfying his demand, you know, as many demands as possible, and therefore he's a good pragmatist. Um, now here are people in the chat. By, by the sorry, you guys, I just I saw for the first time in a while the chat that's over at Zoom. Zoom, by the way, in the Zoom chat right now are people who are my patrons and show supporters from my own blog at don'tletitgo.com. So thank you to all of you who have joined me over here. Um, I I know I've got some people who've moved over to the chat 
at YouTube as well. Um, Jay over in the Zoom meeting, he says, free trade Democrat, that's a unicorn right there, or most consistent pragmatist, yeah, the best pragmatist. Jay says, I have a trade deficit with Amy. That would be fabulous, right? <laughs> Actually, I don't want you guys to have a trade deficit. With me. I want, if you guys have trade a trade surplus generally and you have extra that you can contribute, the value that I provide you with the content that I have out there, that's my goal is to get you contributing over either at Patreon. If you can't afford to contribute anything, but you're getting value from the show and you'd like to help the show, it's always share, 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 share the links because I do a little bit, you know, some of the money that comes in, um, you know, by the way, I'm actually going to end up trying to support myself doing this. So I I can't afford long-term to do this without actually earning money at it. So that's a goal. But of course, what I do along the way is I'm reinvesting funds into it. So when you guys contribute to me, part of that is going to, of course, me trying to figure out live stream. I'm having to set up various accounts through Zoom and everything else, and that costs money. So thank you to those of you who are helping with that. Of course, internet connection, blog talk fees, all all that kind of stuff. But um, also, I purchase ads. So right now, I purchase ads regularly on Facebook. You'll see promoted posts over on Facebook. Facebook was not promoting my live videos, which actually takes away an incentive for me to stream live through Facebook. Uh, I actually can, that'll be a next step, figuring out how to stream live through Facebook. Another thing will be to, you know, figure out how to get caller audio input while I'm doing these live shows for you guys. Baby steps. We'll get this all done. Um, But when I was live streaming, streaming the videos to Facebook and then I would try to promote those, they would never accept my promotion requests anyway. But if I take a YouTube video and I put it over on Facebook, and I try to boost that post, they go ahead and they take it, I guess, because they're not responsible for the content. So I'm learning, and I am promoting, so I'm doing what I can to share it, if you can help me. Of course, I appreciate that as well. John over there at YouTube says, maybe Trump will hire John Allison. As I understand, there was some talk of hiring John Allison, and that John Allison actually went to talk to some people I don't know if he met with Trump personally, but he talked with some people about potentially going to work, I believe, for Treasury Department, and it ended up not being a mutually beneficial thing. I, you know, I think John Allison had said that his standard was that he would have accepted an appointment with Trump administration if he thought he could do some good, but if he was going to be brought in in a way that he wasn't going to be able to have any really good influence, then no. Um, And what are we seeing? We're seeing that the guy who was the top free trade advocate has left. Let me go ahead and get that article pulled up. Conveniently, it was linked, hyperlinked in the other article that I was looking at for you guys. Gary Cohn says he will resign as Trump's top economic advisor. He said on Tuesday he'd resign. The latest in a series of high-profile departures from the Trump administration. White House officials insisted there was no single factor behind the departure of Mr. Cohn, but his decision to leave came as he seemed poised to lose an internal struggle over Mr. Trump's plan to impose large tariffs on steel and aluminum imports. 
Mr. Cohn had warned last week that he might resign if Mr. Trump followed through with the tariffs, with which Mr. Cohn had lobbied against internally. Quote from Trump, he has a statement, Gary has been my chief economic advisor and did a superb job in driving our agenda, helping to deliver historic tax cuts and reforms and unleashing the American economy once again. End quote. Mr. Trump said in a statement to the New York Times, Quote, he is a rare talent, and I thank him for his dedicated service to the American people. End quote. We'll see what happens over the coming weeks, right? If Cohen says something about Trump and then Trump changes his tune. But as of now, Trump is favorable on him. But, you know, it seems fairly obvious that there is a big factor. Maybe there were other factors too, but then this was the one where he said, look, I've decided, maybe Cohn has decided that there's not any more good that he can do in the service of the free trade. Uh, yeah, people are asking about Zoom over here at YouTube. Yeah, Zoom is this platform. You actually see the little Zoom icon in my video over here at YouTube. That is what I'm using to stream this. And I'm I like the tech, I like the sound. So so far I like it. The only problem is like I said, getting Blog Talk callers in. So for example, I have somebody who's on hold at Blog Talk. That person has not pressed the one key to say that they want to go ahead and, and speak. But if they had, I could go ahead and take the call and then I'd have to recapitulate whatever that person asked or told me to everybody for you to hear it and that's kind of Kind of sloppy, not very professional. Someone over here at YouTube is saying that there's very good sound. As I understand it, this Zoom platform will automatically adjust the audio. Jay says that blog talk sounds a little bit muffled and Facebook was distorted. Yeah, maybe this will end up having the best sound of all of it. Um, Yeah, Facebook was distorted. Uh, But yeah, YouTube. Oh, is it sounding a little bit muffled to you? the sound is that what you guys are saying that over at youtube it is go ahead and give me a little bit of feedback on that and i'll I'll see if there's some kinds of adjustments that i can do to improve the sound on youtube there's one thing i can do let me do one thing change the eq just a tiny bit and see if that helps and, uh, now, I do have somebody who's got a comment or a question over here at Blog Talk. Can you guys indulge me while I go ahead and just see if I can get a question or a comment briefly? You're not going to be able to hear it, and then I'll recapitulate. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? I'm going to have to ask you just to give me a brief question or comment, though, because I'm doing a live stream video, and whatever you're saying is not live streaming out to the video. I'm going to have to recapitulate it to them. Uh, hi, Amy. It's Harold. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, Harold. Do you have something that's sort of brief? I know we've had extended discussions in the past. Uh, yeah, but uh, I wanted to comment on the whole steel situation, and I do have some things to say about it. Um, everything is connected in the economy. So if you mess with the imports of steel, the so-called relief that they gave to washing machines just gets canceled out. People putting up buildings, making cars, dishwashers, blenders, whatever, everything gets affected. And what if and hundreds hundreds or thousands of items are used for making any one product? If you're missing just one item, your whole production line stops. So right. 
if you're missing a screw or a rod or a spring or whatever, that's the end of your product. You're on hold until you get that item. And now you have to go through a whole bureaucracy of paying customs duties for something that you should, should have been flowing freely to you. And there's a big, there's a major interaction. And foreigners, if this becomes an emotional issue and they want to get their revenge, they can go passive aggressive. They can start denying us critical, tiny little low cost items so we cannot complete our products. So this thing will become a mess. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. I don't think that there's anything to be gained by this. Um, Anything else on that, Harold? Because now I've already got a bit to recapitulate no, to the listeners. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to I'm going to figure it out, well, we Harold, need, so that I can get people to, to be able to hear you. We you need call. to set you up with a proper phone line, your own personal phone line, so that you can be on all mediums through your own line, and then you don't have this problem. Yeah, I mean, another thing that I can do is I can figure out how to. Um, get people to call in through the Zoom. So, Harold, for example, if you had been... Or advertise, a, adver, can't well, you just advertise the blog talk number on the other media and then they'll call in through, oh, I see I see no one can hear it. That's the problem. Yeah, people can't hear it. So, um, so Harold, if you had been either a patron or a contributor over at my blog before, you would have gotten a meeting, uh, a meeting invite to the Zoom Zoom meeting today. And in the Zoom yeah. meeting, I can actually unmute people and they can talk to me and, and contribute yeah. if they have a microphone and all that. So all right. that's one way, but it's I'd rather, you know, like you say, have a number that anybody can call because obviously people who contribute to my show are likely people who are going to agree with me. And last week it was great to get a call from Brian where we could have an extended conversation about the issue with him disagreeing. Chances of him contributing to my show when he disagrees with me are are very small, right? Yeah, I I don't want to keep you from repeating, so I'll go off. I'll go I'll go back to listening and off the phone so you can catch Well, on. and feel free to contribute anything in the chat today. And then, I'm, gosh, I really hope I can get this going next week because I would like to take callers. I really do like to take callers. I thank you for okay. for calling, Harold. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Okay, so everybody, Harold called, and he was basically talking about what the effect of the tariffs are going to be. And, and we know, of course, that it's going to make everything cost more. But the thing that he was talking about as a possibility is that with all of the red tape and the inconvenience caused by these tariffs, that it's possible that people here in the United States say they're in production of some item. And there's a crucial input that we've been importing cheaply from China forever. And then suddenly there's this tariff slapped on it and it's harder to get in and the supply and everything else is interrupted. If that really happens, then, um, God, sorry, the delay just distracted me. If if that really happens, then production could shut down of things here in the United States. There are a lot of headaches that could happen if this tariff is put into place. And as I said, the New York Times, they're reporting that he plans to sign this tomorrow, tomorrow at noon. He plans to sign it. It wouldn't go into effect for two weeks. And so all these countries who would be affected by it, they are, I guess, trying to lobby or threaten or who knows what. But as I said, we are all being conscripted. It is, in, it is conscription right now. Conscription of the American people 
into a trade war, a trade war to achieve the mythical surplus. I mean, it's not mythical. Yeah, you can get an accounting number that says we have a trade surplus, but it's mythical in terms of conferring any benefit to the United States. It's not going to make America greater to have a trade surplus. You know, we could go back to thinking about the fact that nothing is a value if the means by which it is achieved are animal, non-human means. Um, He's using force. He's going to use the government to initiate force against all of us in order to achieve this so-called surplus. And that alone makes it a disvalue. Um, It is, and I, I don't know. Were you guys surprised that the top free trade advisor to Donald Trump is a Democrat? That's where we're at now. And, it seems that a lot of the people who are left are populist pragmatists of some kind and that he does, he's not going to have anybody, you know. So maybe the guy, I mean, he must have really been convinced that he's not going to be able to achieve anything in the name of free trade anymore in order to get out of there. Craig over here at YouTube is saying Whirlpool could go bankrupt. You can't get a surplus by impl- imposing tariffs. I was surprised that there was a free trade advisor. Yeah, I mean, it maybe, um, I mean, well, actually, it wasn't a free trade advisor. Oh, so you were surprised that there was an economic advisor who was in favor of free trade. That's what you mean by free trade advisor, Craig. Okay, just got it. Uh, yeah, he had this economic advisor, and um, that advisor happens to be a proponent of free trade. His top economic advisor, also a Democrat. Maybe that's not surprising. That's not surprising. Whirlpool could go bankrupt. That was another thing that Harold mentioned on the call, by the way. He had said that um, basically it, this any sort of tariff would undo any of the benefit conferred to Whirlpool by prior, you know, prior concessions or protectionism. So let's go on and I've got I'm almost at the top of the hour here. And I've got what do I have my little notes here. As I as I told you I spent too much time this morning thinking about tech, how I was going to get on and how I was going to stream live. I'm so glad that I finally did figure it out. I'm pat myself on the back here for figuring that out, but now I've got just my little notes. Um, My initial concept for today's show was going to be the idea of bizarro government. And I was going to unite two different things. And by, you know, have you heard of this concept of a bizarro world? I think it's mostly from comics, um, but it might have an origin elsewhere as well. But I know it from comics. And the idea of a bizarro world is one in which everything is backwards. Everything is the opposite as it should be. And when I was thinking about this trade, this potential trade war, Trump's trade policy, which I'm calling Pharaoh trade, you know, the analogy to the, the Egyptian pyramids, he's going to build a trade surplus the way the Egyptians built pyramids. And the, just as pointless, right? Um, to the glory of Trump and to the glory of the Pharaohs, they're going to build these things on our backs. So, you know, this, what what is he doing with this, right? What he's 
trying to do, particularly if you think about it, you know, he's just going to do steel and aluminum to start. It is protectionism. He is going to protect those industries. And protectionism is one way that people get you know, think, they think, oh, well, the, you know, the steel industry needs protection because China is doing unfair things in order to make their steel prices lower. They're either manipulating their currency or they're subsidizing steel or whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, protecting, right? Protection. So it got me thinking about the angle of our government protecting everything but rights, that today we're in a society where everything but rights is protected. And, you know, you could talk about government action. We can also talk about non-governmental action because the thing that came to my mind was this week you had uh, three different speaking events that were attacked, disrupted, and or shut down by Antifa. Um, These guys, you know, the anti-fascists, they're anti-fascists and they're the ones using force to shut down free speech, right? But, you know, what, it, what is also happening at these events, if you remember uh, looking at Yaron Brooks' feed when he was talking, and also you've probably listened to some of his shows, uh, he's my co-host on the show that I do on the weekends, I think we're going to get to do one this Sunday, I'm so excited, but Yaron was talking about the fact that at the King's College event, they were going to have safe space monitors, And what are they doing on college campuses today, including state-run campuses? You know, but they're they're using our tax dollars even on so-called private universities these days. You know, those are subsidized as well. The only private university that I'm aware of that does not accept federal financial aid dollars, for example, is Hillsdale College. So. You know, yesterday there was this story about University of Miami is charging $7,500 in security fees because they want to have a non-leftist speaker come and speak at University of Miami. Um, That is, you know, universities using our tax dollars, even a private university is using our tax dollars because they are accepting in students on federal financial aid, and they take all the strings that are attached, right? There are a lot of strings that come attached with federal financial aid and subsidized student loans and all of those things. And this is why Hillsdale College does not take those things. As I understand it, that's still their policy, that Hillsdale College does not take federal student loans. So what we've got in our country right now is a whole bunch of universities, public, private, whatever, To varying degrees, they're all using our tax dollars, and they are creating environments that are full of students, of course, faculty as well, but students because of faculty, they are hostile to non-leftist speech, hostile to non-leftist speech. And in addition, when a non-leftist speaker wants to come and hold an event in that environment, they have to pay again in the guise of security fees. And what are we also paying for as taxpayers, people who pay tuition to college campuses and everything else? They're paying for safe space monitors or the creation of so-called safe spaces on campus. Why? To protect the feelings of the students. So we have government 
protecting the feelings of college students, protecting people from various levels of offense in other ways. Uh, We have Donald Trump right now trying to protect the steel and aluminum industries, the steel and aluminum workers, not protecting rights and, in fact, infringing rights. So we have, as I say, this bizarro government. It is protecting everything but our rights. It's not protecting our rights. It's, in in fact, a lot of times violating our rights. So that was one angle that I thought of. Another angle that I thought of in terms of bizarro government, again, government doing the exact opposite thing that it should be doing, is something that was brought to mind by a story that I saw yesterday. I'm going to have to see if I can find it. Um, I think it's on the Volat Conspiracy blog over at Reason. It was a story about business licensing. And, okay, let me find it. I just recently learned that the Volat Conspiracy has moved over to reason away from the Washington Post. And I've actually been subscribing to the Washington Post in part because of Volat Conspiracy. So it shows you how well I was keeping up with Volat Conspiracy, right? I wasn't keeping up very well with it. Um, Anyway, I'm over at the Volat Conspiracy blog, and this is on now Reason Magazine, and they've got a whole bunch of articles. There was one that I saw yesterday, and it was about licensing, and they talked about the fact that in New Jersey, um, what's his name, Chris Christie, the horrible so-called Republican who's got no excuse for himself, uh, you know, Chris Christie was one of the Republican governors who was an early and eager adopter of the Obamacare Medicaid expansion. So that just gives you an idea of who he is. You know, he eagerly took federal funds and threw a whole bunch of more people onto single payer medicine, you know, accelerating our descent into socialized medicine hell. So that's Chris Christie for you, right? But one thing that Chris Christie did is he achieved as he left office a so-called pocket veto of a new piece of legislation that would have required licenses for a bunch of new professions, a bunch of different professions that hadn't required professional licenses before. And what is a professional license? A professional license means, you know, for instance, you're not allowed to practice whatever business you are in unless the government tells you that it's okay. And the new businesses that they were going to have licenses required for were things like music therapy and drama therapy. There, you know, there's the idea that participating in certain types of activities can be therapeutic. And so people who teach music, I guess, in a therapeutic setting or something. So you have to be licensed in order to do this. And I mean, you could sort of see how the slippery slope would get you there, right? Because if it's therapeutic, it's sort of maybe like practicing psychotherapy. And since psychotherapists are licensed, then maybe we should go ahead and license these people who are doing musical therapy or art therapy or drama therapy or whatever else it is, right? Some sort of some sort of uh, artistic therapy that people are, are engaging in. Um, anyway, it was defeated state of New Jersey, you do not have to get a license in order to be a music therapist or an art therapist or any of these other professions. Phew, that's great, right? That's good. But imagine that 
what we have to cheer, and this is the thing that I was getting was that they were cheering this. Maybe it was Institute for Justice website that they were doing this. Let me see if I could go to IJ. Again, I'm sorry I don't have a set of organized program notes, but this is what I would have put in there was a recent article from, hmm, no, let me see if I can find it. New Jersey Pocket Veto License, Licensing, let's see. Okay, Forbes, it was Forbes. Sorry, guys, I found it. This is one thing that law school teaches you, by the way how to do a Google search and find exactly what you want. So it's a Forbes article. In welcome win over overregulation, seven new licenses killed in New Jersey. And it is associated with Institute for Justice. So Institute for Justice is responsible for this article. So that was the association there. So pocket vetoes. And they would have created seven new occupational licenses let me skip down again and find the ones that would have been affected. Yeah, so musical therapists. Under the bill, music therapists would need a bachelor's degree in music therapy and then finish 1,200 hours of clinical training before they could legally work. And let's see if there were others. Uh, drama therapists, dance or movement therapists in New Jersey. They use the creative arts to soothe and heal patients. You would have had to have had a master's degree for either of those. And then another one, they said, uh, one of the most ridiculous licensing schemes that was thankfully pocket vetoed, New Jersey lawmakers backed a bill that would have licensed building, installing, repairing, or maintaining a pool or spa. Nor could a pool and spa contractor or installer advertise their services unless they had a permission slip from the government. So what did this make me think of going back to the issue of bizarro government? Why was I thinking about that? We're at a stage right now where government is protecting everything but our rights. That's the one thing, you know, that they're protecting everything else, not our rights. And then also we're at this stage where individual citizens have to get permission for pretty much everything that they do because there are so many laws covering so many activities that we engage in in our life that government must give permission for all of these things. You know, they're, they're really trying to get to the stage where you have to have some sort of government ID in order to have a social media profile. That's one of the things that was floated by New York Times, for example, recently, because I guess in England, some people are using their social media profiles as a form of ID in order to get public services. You see how you get down this road. Um, but yeah, more and more things that we try to do as individuals today require permission. And these licensing schemes are just some of the latest examples. Thankfully, again, they were pocket vetoed. But think of all the things that you have to have permission in order to do, permission from government explicitly in order to do. And think about the fact that government is in the reverse position, right? Under our Constitution, it should have been that only the powers that are delegated to government are powers that it can exercise or, or activities that it can engage in. And increasingly more and more, government seems to just do anything unless we, the people, stop it, either through our representatives or through suing or you know, starting lawsuits and things like that. And here's Trump 
Trump has got this extreme radical tariff policy, 25% on steel and 15 or no, 10%, 10% still on aluminum. And he's just going to sign it as an executive order and it's going to go into effect in two weeks. I mean, this is ridiculous, right? That he can just do this pen and phone as Obama used to call it. I criticized it then. I'll criticize it now when it's with Trump. We should not have a government that is just able to do whatever it wants, virtually unchecked anymore. Uh, you know, at, at, at the courts now, at the Supreme Court, they'll talk about having um, judicial restraint. We don't want a restrained judiciary. We don't want an active judiciary. We want a judiciary that actually judges whatever comes before it according to the principles in the Constitution. Uh, you know, hopefully a correct understanding of the principles of, in the Constitution. Hopefully we can amend the Constitution so that it embodies even more of the correct principles or is clearer about its embodiment of the correct principles. But no, you know, judicial restraint, letting government do whatever it can, if it can get away with it, is a horrible thing. And, and so is judicial activism, the idea that they're going to create new rights for everybody that must be provided for. Um, anyway, so those, that, that's, that was my original idea, bizarro government. And as I said, it was overtaken once I thought of the analogy to the, um, you know, to the Egyptian pyramids surplus. Craig over at the Zoom chat. Thanks everyone for joining me over at the Zoom chat. I'm glad I was able to at least set that up for the patrons and supporters over at the blog. And finally, actually the, the supporters over at the blog are the ones that I owe an apology to because I got up to speed being able to invite patrons faster than I did. I had to make a new email list of all of my current supporters at the blog. So I made that so you'll be hearing from me more often, maybe not quite as often as people will be hearing from me over at the Patreon page, but you'll be getting more regular emails to me. I have an actual show supporter email list that I spent some time this week making as well, and that was a bit overdue. So thanks to everyone, and this is one of the benefits that I want to give you guys in you know, invites to this, this chat. Um, now, this is interesting. Administrator, someone's calling themselves administrator in my chat at administrator. I don't know who's calling themselves administrator in my chat over at Zoom. Just to let you guys over in Zoom know, whoever's calling themselves administrator, that's not me typing it. So I don't know how that happened. Um, that's kind of strange. Oh, well. Anyway, um, Craig says over in the Zoom chat, we'll give him his time. Oh, administrator is the default name. Oh, okay, I see. So you guys come in my Zoom chat and you are promoted to administrator right away. I love it. I love it. That's perfect. Um, administrator is the default name. Okay. You can have any name you want. Ha <laughs> Okay. Now they're scheming over what kind of names they can give themselves in the in the Zoom chat. Um, okay. So we'll go back to Craig's point. Craig says it is impossible to make anything clear enough that a lawyer can't corrupt it. So I assume Craig that this is part of your argument as to why we should all be anarchists, right? I don't know if that is, but you can go ahead and say yes or no. This is going to be a discussion that we're going to have to have 
at a future time, I'm afraid. Let's see. Now I'm scanning down the chat. He hasn't said yes, but I assume that's where that discussion was going to go. How, how about this? So, yes, no matter how clearly you write the Constitution, there is going to be a possibility for misinterpretation. Yeah. I still have John over here at YouTube saying that, I guess, what, Trump is stopping the self-sacrifice of America. So, John, I'm going to stay over here at the YouTube chat. It's John Woods over here at the YouTube chat who's saying this. How is it that we are sacrificing ourselves if we don't slap on these tariffs? How is it that we're sacrificing ourselves if we don't slap on these tariffs? The way I see it, the Chinese are sacrificing their citizens to us, sacrificing their citizens to offer us cheaper goods. And because we don't have a duty to save everybody in the world all over the place, one valid way to encourage every other country to be free in their economy as well is for us to lower our trade barriers to zero and serve as an example to everybody else, have our economy boom. Okay, uh, John is saying, because our governments need to neutralize the force of each other so that our individuals are free to compete. We are free to compete. We are free to compete now. So are you saying that it is the duty of our government to neutralize the force that China's government is exerting against its own citizens? I don't think it's the duty of our government to do that. I don't think we have a duty to go invade them, for example. We are the largest debtor nation in the world. That is an entirely separate issue, one that Trump has not addressed at all. And that is something that I tweeted to him the other day. I said, if only he was as passionate about the deficit that really matters, which is the spending deficit and the increase to the debt that results. I was watching the debt clock the other day. It's zooming just as fast as ever. You know that website? Let's keep all the Johns on Zoom to avoid confusion, says John Kennedy. Yeah, but John Woods is not over there, and John is arguing. John Woods is arguing with me, so I have to go ahead and get in here. Okay, so he says we are uh, we're not we are the largest debtor nation. We get cheaper goods. Yeah, yeah. The, um, Jay is making a good point over here at the YouTube chat. He says we're going to get the cheaper goods. They're hurting their people. The answer is not to hurt our people in response. And that, that was the point that I was really trying to make in my analogy to affirmative action. Uh, John Woods over here at YouTube, let me ask you this. Are you in favor of affirmative action? So are you in favor of employers or college admissions? He's saying, are you kidding me? I don't know if he's answering to this. Oh, okay, no, he's saying we're, we're, we're getting our asses kicked. You know, again, this is this idea that we're winning somehow or losing because of an accounting number. Okay, so John says, no, you're not in favor of affirmative action. There is an analogy to be made here between affirmative action and what Trump is doing with this trade policy. Because what Trump is doing is he's saying, look, let, let's suppose, 
let's suppose that the steel and aluminum industries have been hurt because of an injustice that the Chinese have perpetrated against their own citizens. And that's all this is, right? Whatever China is doing, they're doing it to their own citizens because those are the only people that they have power over unless they invade our country. Okay, so be clear on that. Uh, but what are they doing? They're manipulating their currency or they're taxing and they're doing price controls or you know subsidies or whatever it is, right? So they are initiating force against their own citizens. They are committing, yes, an injustice. And what Trump is proposing to do in answer to that is a form of affirmative action. He's saying he wants to protect our steel and aluminum industries from these, you know, the, the side effect of these unfair actions that the Chinese are committing against their own people. And that is not a valid thing to do. I mean, what China is doing, they're doing it to their own people. We don't have any control over them. We shouldn't have any control over them. They are a nation. Now, if you say, okay, China is a security threat to the United States, that we actually should be going to actual war with China, that's a whole separate issue. And then I say, if there is going to be war with China, we should not have involuntary conscription. And what Trump is proposing to do, if, if we're going to say, okay, we're supposed to be at war with China because China is attacking our aluminum and steel industries, and so we're going to fight them, and we're going to fight them through this economics, what I'm saying is that Trump is conscribing. He is you know, using conscription against all of us. He's conscribing the way that you say that word. I hope it is. We're getting a little tired here. Um, uh, John says we should neutralize them economically, but go no further, set off whatever advantages they are getting. You know, this is where it starts to get really messy, John. So how do you calibrate those tariffs to know that you're doing it exactly to neutralize? You can't figure all of that out. You know, one of the things that the libertarian economists uh, were so excellent at is talking about the fact that the people who are closest to the supply and demand, you know, the, the actual good are the ones who are able to do this. We don't need central planners to try to figure out, well, what are the advantages and disadvantages of China hurting their own people? The thing that we know is that two wrongs don't make a right, that it is wrong for our government, you know, Trump, to initiate force against our citizens in order to win a so-called trade war. If he wants to go to war, then he needs people to enlist voluntarily. He doesn't need to use conscription. You don't need central planners. Uh, Trump is being a central planner right now. He's proposing to be a central planner by signing these tariffs into law tomorrow. You charge them whatever they charge us across the board. You mean you make the tariff exactly the same? The tariff exactly the same is not going to correspond to the benefit or the harm or whatever it is that you think you're addressing. That's arbitrary. Answer which question, John? Okay, I'm going to wait for John's question. There's a delay over on YouTube, so I have to wait for him to get it. What's the question? Uh, John Woods has a question. He says, answer this one question. Yeah, tariffs tax America. What do you think is the meaning of trading value for value? 
Okay, so, yeah. They're going to trade, we're going to trade money and they're going to give us steel. And they're giving it cheap. Okay, so what are you going to say? You're going to say it's not a value. I mean, here, here's where I could go with this, right? You could say, well, it's not a value if it's produced because the Chinese have done something bad. Or you say, but our money is going to collapse. Okay, so our money is worthless, so that's the problem. How is our money going to collapse? That's a, that's a separate topic. Uh, here, here's where I'm going with this, with the value for value thing. Maybe you say, okay, the steel that they're offering us is not as much of a value because the way that it was produced, or at least the way that it was produced at that price, is because of something bad that the Chinese did. And what I'm saying is that if you want to address that issue, then every person who thinks that should refuse to buy steel from China, that you as an individual, as an individual company, as a purchaser, can say, I'm not going to buy anything made in China. And there has actually been in the past. It's not as big now because there's so much made in China that I think everybody gave up. But you can say, I'm not going to buy anything made in China. You are free to do that as an individual. And what I'm saying is that the government, our government, should not have the power to force us to engage in that boycott unless unless you've decided that China is a military enemy, that insofar as that we, you know, we trade with them, then we are propping up a military threat. And if that's the case, we're not talking about tariffs. We're talking about banning the goods across the board. Uh China is doing what as individuals, so it gives them an advantage. Are you saying that China is oh, okay? So China is doing it as a government, and because the China is harming their own citizens and the individuals. What what I'm saying is that there's only so much of morality that government properly legislates, and we can look and we can say, okay, well, China is treating its citizens unfairly, or you could have some idea that Nike is engaging in slave labor in China. That's been one of the things that's talked about in the past. I disagree with it. I think if people are taking the jobs, then that means that the job is better than any other option that was given to them. But, um, you know, the, the, the point, the point being is that if you decide that it would be immoral to take these goods, that it's hurting United States to take these goods, then you go ahead and do it. But our government would have to decide that it's a security risk. Government's job is to protect the rights of Americans. There is no right to earn a living producing a particular commodity or providing a particular service. And so if China, one way or another, is kicking our butt in a certain realm, then that is not really the the job of government to figure it out, right? It's it's the individual citizens in the market are going to have to adjust for that. And as long as our government leaves us as free as possible to make the adjustments, I mean, you could say, okay, well, that's part of the problem right now is that it is hard to shift resources from steel production to other industries where these people can make more money. But what are we? Oh, he says he's. Uh, John is going to say he's going to say two more things and then stop. So I'll go ahead and look and see what he's going to end up saying here. 
um, the, you know, the biggest things to think of are the fact that two wrongs don't make a right, right? Um, if China is hurting its own citizens and the result is cheaper goods, you can decide as an individual to not purchase them, okay, fine, and get everybody on the bandwagon and say, okay, you know, instead of reduce your carbon footprint, it's, you know, re- reduce your China purchased footprint. Oh, God, I've got only 90 seconds left in this show. So, John, actually, you're going to not end up being able to say your, your two more things. Anyway, two wrongs don't make a right. I do not want to be conscripted myself into building Trump's trade surplus, which is not going to, as many economists have shown, do anything to make our country any greater. Trade surplus is just a number. So everybody, thank you for tuning in. We're going to have to, John, you're going to have to make your comments over on the video at YouTube. Everybody, this video should be automatically posted at YouTube afterwards. I thank you for joining me for my first successful YouTube live stream. I look forward to maybe streaming to other platforms, Facebook or perhaps Periscope in the future if I can figure out the tech, getting your calls in as well. Uh, If you're enjoying the work that I do, any support that you can give me over my blog at don'tletitgo.com or at my Patreon page is very much appreciated. I'll go ahead and post the links to all of those underneath the postings of these videos. So thanks, everybody. I'm going to go ahead and end my blog talk show first. And I guess then I'm going to end my meeting over at Zoom. Let's see. I've got 50 million windows open. Okay, everyone. Take care. Thanks for joining me. Thank mm-hmm. you.